Welcome to Every Step Podcast. I'm Christina Weston. And I'm Judith Beck. Every Step is the podcast where career and life meet. With a new guest every episode, we explore the gutsy issues affecting everyone in the workplace. Today, we are joined by Dr. Kirsten Ferguson, where we explore the head and heart of modern leadership. Welcome, Kirsten. It is so great to have you here and congratulations on your new book. And, you know, Christine and I both took your survey and we can't ha- wait to hear the results. I hope we did all right. So do you want to just take us through what the results were? How good of leaders are we? Oh, well, I can't say that. Only the people you lead can talk about what kind of a leader you are. But um, yeah, we're jumping straight into it. So for anyone listening, go on headheartleader.com and you can get your own report as well, totally free. But it was fascinating to compare um, both of you, Christina and Judith, because you have very similar strengths. And obviously, this is a report that looks at the eight attributes of a modern leader, which I go through in the book. And I was really fascinated fascinated but not all that surprised to see that curiosity was almost off the scale for both of you you are clearly both curious leaders and you know as we know curiosity is just so important for any leader and it's not just being curious about some things but really about anything and you clearly are you know all over that the other thing I was really interested to see with both of you was courage so I'm keen to hear from you both what's that all about and that's obviously having the courage to speak up for what you believe in even in the face of pressure not to do so it's unusual to see both people you know anyone with such high scores in courage what do you think that reflects oh well you know what I think um probably, hey, we're both Aquarians. <laughs> that has something to do with it. But I, 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 I personally, and Christine can give her answer, but uh, from my point of view, I think courage came from my upbringing and from my, you know, my mother and my grandmother saying, you can be whoever you want to be and you can do whatever you want to do and don't put barriers in front of you. And so I've never gone into any, any, any company that I started and I've started a few of them. I didn't think about um, what the ramifications were going to be. It was more like, I can do it. Why, why not? I'm just going to do it. And I'm passionate about it. And I'm going to go forward. But I had great role models. And that mm. is really important. If you've got people in your corner who are telling you can do things and giving you encouragement, then you're probably going to be more courageous to... Um, you know, um, strap on those skis and, and go down the hill. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Christina? Well, I, think, I think courage is multifaceted. Um, I think for me, it's about having a very strong sense of self and my boundaries and my beliefs and my values. And when those are in play, you are far more likely to speak up for what is true and right for you and as I've as I've grown as a person because it wasn't always that way for me as I've grown more confident and more comfortable in my own skin I have had the courage to speak up or the courage to do what is right the courage to make decisions that are aligned to my values and the values of the community that I lead. 
but it wasn't always that way when I've been insecure. And I think there've been many times in my career where I felt very, very insecure. I've sat quietly. I've, I didn't speak up. I was more afraid of making waves or, or not getting ahead. And um, my sense is the world has changed around that. It was okay to be sit in your box, be quiet, do as you're told. But I, I believe the modern leader actually needs to have that strong sense of, of self um, and, and the awareness of what the values are of their community and the community that they serve. And that's coming up as a, as a really big theme for me. Yeah, well, it, clearly you're both um, able to speak up for what you believe in. And, you know, you touched on it. If you're leading teams, we obviously show, if we can show courage as a leader, we encourage others to be able to speak up. And you touched on that, Judith, around role models. I do think people tend to think, though, don't you think, that courage, you know, is often these big courageous acts we see on the front page of the newspaper, you know, whistleblowers blowing the lid on, you know, a whole corporation doing the wrong thing, whereas courage is really the everyday acts that we do where it might be saying yes to a stretch assignment, you know, we don't think we can take on or to a promotion, even when your imposter syndrome voice is telling you, you know, there's no way you can do it. All of those are examples of courage. And or to say you don't agree. I don't agree yeah. with that. Or challenging a colleague, challenging someone whose behaviour doesn't meet your values, whatever it might be. But it certainly doesn't need to be these sort of heroic, courageous actions Absolutely. Uh, that we see. So going back to your reports, um, I was going to ask, now where is it, Christina, wisdom. You seem to uh, be quite strong in wisdom and that's really being able to assess what's known and unknown, weighing up risk and reward. Uh, so you might search for data and evidence before you um, think about your best path forward. Is that something that resonates with you? Uh, yes, I, I guess I, um, I ask people for opinions as, as well. So I, I seek out alternative perspectives. So for me, it's important to understand a range of perspectives before mm. making a decision, um, because if you only if you only make decisions from your own perspective, you're not exactly. taking in a collective view. So I like to have open conversations, and I like I actually encourage being challenged. It's like I encourage having open conversations about a subject. It's not about me personally. I don't feel like somebody's crushed me if they disagree with me or have a different perspective. Um, so I, I yeah I enjoy I enjoy getting other other perspectives to get the best outcome that's possible. Yeah, and then that shows with your scores in humility, and obviously you too, Judith, um, really high in humility, which is so important for a leader. And it's totally related to curiosity because unless we're humble and ex accept that we don't have all the answers and we don't know everything and we need to seek other perspectives, we're never going to be particularly curious. Um, I was going to ask you, Judith, empathy uh, is, you know, a strong one for you. And I think it's one of the most misunderstood attributes of a leader because it's not sympathy or pity or compassion. What does leading with empathy sort of look like for you? So, you know, when I look back, just looking at, you know, teams and people that, that worked for me, I think one of the things when I started um, my first business was these people are going to work for me. I need to work for them. But, you know, this is, um, this is not a, you know, it's not all about me. It's about the team. And I need to understand 
what they want and where they're going and why and that type of thing before because their career desires one person's career desire isn't going to be the next one and there's different levels of what people want within their career and if the leader doesn't know that they don't understand where their um, team the people in their team individually want to go they're not going to be able to reward them effectively or they're mm. not going to be able to challenge them effectively so that you need to understand where they're coming from and have that and be in their shoes for a little while as well you know like okay, yeah. I, I need to um I need to understand that they need more training and I need to or they're going through something personal and maybe that what they're going through from a personal point of view is going to affect their work and how we're going to get around that how we're going to work it's not a one-size-fits-all <laughs> That's right. So yeah, and I finding, are you finding empathy is misunderstood? I think so because people either view it as um, sympathy, which is not a helpful action at all, just to say I'm really sorry, or having too much empathy is not helpful either. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen the book called Against Empathy by Paul Bloom, which is really powerful, and it seems counterintuitive because as leaders, obviously, we want to lead with empathy, but there's plenty of research that shows that having too much empathy can sway or um, lead you to fall into confirmation bias uh, and favor particular outcomes because you know they're in your face and you can see them you know there's a great study where there's this young child who's struggling with cancer and she speaks to the people who are participating in the study and says how if she got ten thousand dollars or whatever it is it'd help ease her issues but they're also told there's eight other kids that need the same amount but because they're anonymous you know, they don't feel the same empathy, they give it to the girl and it's an irrational decision based on empathy. But that's not to say we shouldn't have empathy and it's an, it's a critically important part of leading. But it means, I, I think where I think it's like misunderstood is it's not taking on those feelings that someone's dealing with that you're leading. It's actually objectively listening. And I tie diversity uh, into that because, you know, it is also about standing in the shoes and actively standing in the shoes of people quite different to yourself and knowing that you need to do that requires you to lead with empathy and to appreciate that not everyone has the same lived experience as you do and to really I think we all know leaders that don't do that and we see their limitations as a result yeah but part of it is also the aspect of humanizing issues and often leaders make decisions and they look at the bottom line and it's just about the numbers or it's just about getting to a goal or meeting a KPI. But I think what we're talking about a little bit here too is that that humanising, humanise the decision or humanise what's going on, which leads to a level of an inquiry around, well, how is this going to impact other parts of the community? How is it going to um, impact those people that are from diverse backgrounds or you know other backgrounds? And it's, it is quite a complex skill to, or habit probably, it's a skill and a habit to actually yeah. bring, into, bring into your I, framework. 
I think that's what I've tried to articulate in my book, because modern leaders do put people at the centre of their decision making. And whether they're running a technology company that's all noughts and ones or whatever it might be, they still put people at the centre of their decision making. And I think that's what you're touching on. And anyone can do it, whether you're the CFO or whatever, every decision you make, even when you're reviewing the balance sheet, has an impact on individuals. And so it's using your head to get that balance sheet correct, but at the same time, leading with, you know, empathy and humility and self-awareness of the impact that your decisions are going to have on others. And so for me, the art of being a modern leader is knowing what is needed when and balancing those it's two. An, it's, an al- it's an alchemy and it is it is it situational? Is is totally and it can change in any situation. So you might go into one conversation thinking you're going to need a whole heap of um, capability and sort of growth mindset and how you're going to approach something and then suddenly realize actually I need to draw on a whole heap of humility here because I didn't realize you know that's where I'm going but that is the art and it's adapting your leadership to the context you're in to the situation to the crisis to the conversation and understanding what of these attributes you need to draw on and when and it's it's a tough thing for new managers especially coming into a role where they've got especially today right because where's the where's the line between empathy babysitting sympathy they're coming into a new team and trying to um get to know who's who and how to manage people it's a it's a tough environment that they're going into now and that training I mean I, I think I would say to managers also don't beat yourself up if you don't get it right every single time but it's really important to um learn from people who do understand that way of modern leadership and get help and ask you know and and bounce things off of um uh, people more experienced as well because they someone going into a new environment that has to lead a new team and they think well I'm pretty empathetic but they yeah think, but they may not be <laughs> but then I would I don't know that I'd necessarily recommend they go and speak to someone more experienced because sometimes more experienced leaders have learned bad habits along the way <laughs> yeah, yes. and yeah, sometimes <laughs> I I really am in the book trying to emphasize that the position title or wherever you sit in an organization is actually irrelevant to your ability to be a modern leader because we see leaders in our families in our communities uh, at the most junior levels of an organization who can demonstrate how to lead in really effective ways it's just not the traditional sense of the person you know at the top of the tree and I think there's a lot of leadership qualities we can gain from those who have no formal authority at all but we all know who they are and we know everyone turns to them for guidance and they trust them and they are ultimately the influencers in the rump of an organization who are leading in their own ways. So for yeah, new managers, I think it's terrifying enough, obviously having to learn a new skill, but I, I do think that a lot of people have the qualities that are needed. They just haven't ever been encouraged to integrate the leadership they already have at home with their kids and whoever, uh, and bring that to work as well. But how do you bring in it? So at some stage, someone's got to teach somebody. So someone's got to put a framework in or going at, from a company. So let's say the company is even a mid-sized company. 
and they want to change their framework. They want they want their managers to be modern leaders. At some stage, there's got to be some kind of training or 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 role modeling or something. Somebody's yeah. got to pass that knowledge on to to the to the person coming in or whoever, um, and say, okay, this is our new way of leadership. It doesn't just happen. Someone's how do you how do you infiltrate that into a business well that's the culture that isn't culture. it yeah the culture of the way we do things around here and that means having the most senior leaders the ones who do have positional authority you know rewarding and celebrating those leaders who are acting in this way already and they may be far more junior but if you look at uh, microsoft they've introduced uh, model coach care that's their framework and it's very much around these ideas and you know they're an organization of 100,000 people and have been able to change the way they reward and celebrate leaders and what they uh, look for in new leaders who are being um, moved through the organization and that's come from Satya Nadella who openly says that leading with empathy is probably one of his most important attributes so I do think it's a combination of positional and non-positional leaders but uh, the most important thing will be acknowledging as you said you are going to make mistakes it's not if but when and it'll probably happen on a daily basis and that's when you need psychological safety around your culture so that that's okay you know it's that's not going to be an issue you're not going to lose your job you are just it's just part of learning and, and do you think that there's, some, that there's sort of this view that if you're a heart-led leader that you're you're not um uh you know you don't hold people accountable or you don't but you still yeah. can be a heart-led leader and still be demanding in a, you know what needs to be not when I say demanding you, you need to be accountable and you still we still want to um produce a good result is there some kind of is there a sort of a view that all oh, heart if you're heart-led you're too weak I think there is and I, I think in some cases that's true and I also think in some cases if you're all head you might be technically brilliant but you're not going to be particularly effective as a leader and that is why the whole idea of head and heart and modern leadership is having both and I know plenty of wonderful heart-based leaders that are the kindest people in the world but it's frustrating to work with them because they don't hold people to account or they're not they as interested can't make decisions quickly they can't make decisions or they're not as interested in the bottom line which ultimately is really important if you're trying to keep the doors open of a business likewise probably more obvious are the leaders who are just head-based that don't really care about people or the impact on people neither is a good option um, and so you know I'm really advocating that you must have both you just simply can't ignore one or the other and um, that is you know the big message for all leaders and the people I work with I do some executive coaching and they're often very senior technically brilliant industry leaders but they can't lead people because they've never focused on their heart-based attributes but they've got them because you talk to them about their family life or what they do outside of work and there's endless buckets of empathy there they've just never felt comfortable to, or vulnerable enough to be able to bring that to work yeah and I think that's a, that's a word that's coming up uh, a lot of of recent times is that piece about being okay with vulnerability okay to get it wrong okay to admit you don't know okay that okay to ask for help and that takes courage back to courage 
um, and self-awareness. So self-awareness and having feedback um, systems in place or trusted advisors that can, you know, really <laughs> tell you how you're stuffing up. Um, you know, if you don't set that up and you're not aware that you need it, then I don't know that you'll ever sort of master modern leadership. Yeah, and I that's, look, that's look probably my... really issue. A lot of them don't aren't aware that they yeah. that they have it. I mean, when I was doing executive search, the people who would uh, that I would headhunt, that they if they had a boss that was not a heart leader, which a lot of them weren't, um, you know, they left because of that person, and that person, you know, was not being. Um, uh, it, often I'd hear people say things like. Um, I have no idea what my boss is doing, where they are. They come to work in the morning. They never say hello. They just walk right into their office and shut the door. They don't talk and find out anything. They wouldn't have a clue, that kind of thing. And that's why people leave. They don't leave mm. the organization. They leave the person. And that's the, but the other thing is, is trying to get people into an organization where the leaders aren't modern and they're not heart led and they're, you know, they're not. Um, so are uh, our leaders responsible for the great resignation? Oh, I think so. I wrote a piece in the Fin Review saying the only people to look in the mirror if it happens is, you know, the leaders themselves. So totally, we know that um, the vast majority of people, as Judith said, leave jobs because of their bosses. And it's frustrating. Well, I don't know why organisations don't, you know, try and wrap modern leadership in this modern way of leading into their brands, because just as people want to be able to work flexibly and, you know, choose how they now uh, work and the amount of time they go into the office, so too they want to be able to choose to work with leaders who care about them. Isn't the responsibility also our own responsibility? I mean, we're saying it's up to an organisation to mm. teach me. It's up to someone else to coach me. But isn't it fundamentally our own responsibility as human uh, beings to learn 100%. these skills and build these skills? You know, I look at I look at my journey, and and it was I had to I had to actually had to do the work on myself. Yeah, because I I wasn't when I was in a I was a very young leader. I was very lucky. I was I was fast tracked. I was a very young leader, but I didn't have the, the wisdom that I have now, and I'm still building that wisdom. I'm never going to stop learning and growing on that front. But I had to put myself through some, you know, I, I had counselling, I've done a lot of introspection, I've done a lot of reflection, and I continue to do that. If you don't actually do the work, you don't actually build empathy, self-awareness, curiosity, perspective, humility. So... Where's the personal responsibility fit into all of this? It's 100%. No, I couldn't agree more. And that's why I'm really trying to advocate the idea that we are all leaders and whether, you know, you have a formal title or not is irrelevant. It's up to you. And, you know, we're impacting people with every choice and we make all the words we use, the behaviours we role model every single moment. So whether you like it or not, you're leading and, it's up to you to be able to leave the most positive legacy that you can. And I um, couldn't agree more that the best leaders understand that. I think I always am reflecting on, you know, the listeners to your podcast are probably a self-selecting audience. We're, we're talking to the people who already understand. The preaching to the converted. That's exactly <laughs> right. And the people who aren't self-aware, who don't think they need to change, they're certainly not listening to podcasts on leadership because if you Correct. ask them, they'll you know they've already got it all um 
down pat. And I do think though those kinds of leaders are finding themselves out of date pretty quickly. And you only have to read the business pages to see endless examples of old style leaders being caught out in 2022-23. And I think that will continue and probably earning uh, accelerate. Interesting. But you know, the the new ones coming up. And, you know, it's, it's, there's, you know, obviously, there's the theory, and then there's the reality of the practice of the day to day of going in. And they've got to do that in this technology environment. Now they've got to lead in a way that they're not going to be face to face with their teams, and they're going to be on zoom meetings and um, people working from home and everything and getting that connection with your team and understanding. I, I mean, I know when people were around me in the office and everything, you get in you uh, in tune mm. with if they're not themselves or mm. something's wrong or that type of that stuff. But, but when they're working from home, the manager has got to put in extra effort to try to find out what you know, what's going on, if anything. So they've got to build that trust and that loyalty with their team more. And yeah, um, yeah that's gonna, that won't be easy. <laughs> no, in fact, I devote the last section of the book, part four, to leading, you know, modern leadership in this different environment we now lead in remotely. I, I'm much more of an optimist, though. I do think it's possible. And I think, as you said, we've got to put more effort in and to be on the, the platforms where people are chatting and collaborating. And it means rethinking that synchronous meetings are perhaps no longer necessary or not necessary for the vast majority of cases. And you might be using Trello boards and you know all these things that are now out there. And as uncomfortable as it might be, I know I find them uncomfortable because I'm not used to them. That's where the people we're leading are. And so, you know, one thing that struck me through the pandemic and still now is if, you know, you're going to have a meeting with someone face to face, you would put effort in and put your suit on. And, you know, you're obviously conscious of how you were perceived. In virtual meetings, those same people I would see, they wouldn't get the lighting right. They would have the camera up their nose. Um, you know, you could barely see them. And I think that for me is just equally a sign of a lack of awareness of, you know, how you're being perceived online. And for me, I want leaders to be really conscious about trying to set it up as though you're walking into a meeting because I remember having a meeting with a leader and they had two uh, cameras or two screens and they were just looking at the other screen while the camera was, and, you know, so I saw the side of their face for the whole oh, meeting. Oh, I had a similar and situation, a very, a very senior meeting, a very senior person. Yeah. Um, and they sat sideways. They didn't even look at the camera, sat sideways, yeah. drinking a milkshake sideways, <laughs> legs crossed, leaning back. And and I'm their, I was their, I'm their client. This is a very, very senior yes. underwriter out of Lloyd's. Yes. And I was gobsmacked. I... After the call, I said to my colleague, Miss, do you believe that person did that? And you can't imagine they would if you were sitting in front of them in the meeting. Well, maybe they would. But this particular person carried on the whole meeting and eventually I just couldn't help myself. It was one-on-one. -on -one. And I said, do you always do your meetings like this with your team? And uh, they did. And I said, well, can I give you some feedback on how it comes across on the other end? And uh, so things like really simple things like that. Um, you're right though, Judith, that 
those water cooler moments are no longer there. And, you know, I know for many people, they miss those. But there are other ways I think people are finding to recreate those. Um, I think also it's been interesting to discover how people prefer to work and that we've all got different ways. I know my household, my husband loves going back into the office. Like he thinks it's great because he likes the water cooler moments. He likes, you know, having lunch with people and doing all of that. Whereas I'm very happy <laughs> to be working <laughs> virtually um, because I find it more effective for me and, you know, just doing meetings outside when I have to. So, as so we're leader, all different. Yeah, as a leader, how do we manage everybody's individual mm. needs and meet, again, get the business done and meet the business outcomes, you know, achieve the business outcomes that we want if we're individualising? Because that, that, that kind of feels like what's going on at the moment. It's all about the individual and we're individualising everything. But as leaders, we still need to... But if the done. outputs are being achieved... That's, if the I think that's achieved, all that matters. Absolutely. But if they're um, not, because we're hearing uh, well, a lot of people complain about productivity, lower, lower levels of productivity. How do we... How do we balance that? Because we're talking about being heart and head leaders because this is yeah. at the heart of the conversation. Oh, totally. It? And, and so the alchemy of the two and knowing when to pull what lever, when to actually stand tall and say, actually, no, we need to rewrite the rules. Yeah. Uh, and when to actually go, oh, look, I'm so sorry that happened. Uh, how can we support you? I think for modern leaders, they'll know that this is not, necessarily a decision solely for them I would get the team together and go here's what we all agreed and committed to here's the results <laughs> so clearly this can't continue what are we together going to do differently and how do we think this could work is a far more effective way than you know the leader just going well I come in every day and clearly it's not working so you now will have to do what I'm doing and that's where leaders have fallen down I think and no Twitter moments for us <laughs> yeah, so I think <laughs> I think even though it seems more difficult and more challenging, I know I've spoken to plenty of large organisations that have got it right, and they have provided autonomy to individual teams to work out how they're going to deliver their outcomes. The outcomes still matter, so this is not about you know getting more flexible in the outcomes, but giving autonomy to teams to figure out how they achieve those. I think that's spot on. The thing is, is that um, you you do you have a business to run and you need to have the the outcomes there. And if you don't bring the team in to make the rules of engagement, like this is what we need to do, um, or even if something, you know, let's say, okay, we're all working from home and it didn't work and it's not working, you know, figures are going yeah. down. Um, it's getting them back in again and go, it's not working. <laughs> the figures are down. We need to rethink how we're going to do this and how we're going to work. Maybe it's uh, the hybrid or maybe it's, you know, the customers are complaining because no one's in the office. I can't get anybody. What it, whatever it is, everybody needs to have buy-in to that solution. Otherwise, it would be very hard to take, take the team forward if, you know, if if they're not all in agreement about what's going to do, but smaller businesses and mid-sized businesses, I mean, at the end of the day, the owner, the managing director, who's they're responsible, and they probably got their livelihood on the line, and they have got to be have that courage to be able to say, you know, this is just not going to work for the business. Yeah, and we need people in here from X to X, if that's what their model requires, we need them in there. But 
maybe we can be flexible on other things. Maybe we and, can do. And that's totally okay. And I think there's no one size fits all. So you might have a small business where the vast majority love coming in. They're like my husband and they just go, let's go back to exactly how it was pre-pandemic and the whole place is happy. And that is the culture of that organization. Yep. Absolutely fine. But the place next door might have a very different culture and they might all like to work from home and just come in on a Wednesday or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's where I think leaders really need to understand their the flexibility that's required and that humility that their answer might not necessarily be right. I mean, the place next door where everyone wants to work from home, the boss might want them all to come in, but if he demands it, he might have no staff pretty quick. So, you know, he's going to have to deal with the reality of that too. So I, I, it's impossible to give an answer to, you know, that's going to fit everyone other yeah, than people listen. Will, people will gravitate to cultures mm. and, and values and, and we're seeing a lot of shifting at the moment and totally. thinking about moving or, or moving at the moment. And, and I wonder how more, how much more important it's going to be for the leader to be loud and proud about what's important to them so that people can come and work in organizations Absolutely. that are yeah. aligned to how they want to work and their values and what's important to them. And there's enough work to go around, as we clearly, as we, you know, as, as we know, but there's going to be a bit of shifting around. There's just a realignment. So the place where it has 100% people coming in every day, they're going to attract other people that love that, which is terrific. You'll have a Absolutely. wonderful, happy workplace of people all in there five days a week. I wouldn't want to go and work there because that's yeah. not for me, but that's Same. okay because I would go and find somewhere that, you know, it fits my needs. So I don't think it's anything to be scared about. And I, I thought the headlines during sort of this year, during 2022, that we're all, you know, hybrid's going to destroy workplaces and things is very overstated because it it'll only work in those places where employees and the culture calls for it. Yeah, yes. I think this opportunity has been transformational. I, I'm I'm really quite excited. I'm always one to look at the silver lining of, of things that go wrong. And I believe it's really allowed us as leaders and employees to have amazing conversations that we couldn't we couldn't have had. We couldn't have initiated. So for me, it's um it's a massive opportunity to rewrite some rules, rewrite some engagements, to to grow. Um, and to make work a more enjoyable place. Mm, absolutely. Yep. You know, what's interesting is that if you look on social media, you can you can quite clearly see who's happy at what companies because employees now are putting out posts about, well, we did this, we, you know, we, we had this initiative and we went there and they, they're talking very favorably about their employer. So you can kind of pick the companies where you yeah. go, wow, all these employees of this particular company, I'm always seeing posts about how happy they're and what they're doing and the initiatives that they're doing. And that's a good example in itself where, because all of a sudden employees are now the PR machines for the, where they're working. So why wouldn't you want to give them a good environment? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what I love about hybrid working is that 
workplaces are realising to have people come in a certain number of days a week or whatever it is, you've got to make that purposeful. And so they are making the mm. time that you're in the office really worthwhile and quite different to how it might be when you're just sitting at home, you know, in your home office. And that's a real shift with the power now with employees saying, you better, you know, why am I commuting? I can have saved two hours a day just sitting working at home. You better make it interesting and so employers are doing that and um, the word you use purposeful I think is really important to so many especially the younger generations coming through want to be working with organizations that are contributing to the world in a in a bigger and and better way in, in whatever way that they're doing it so they are looking for more purpose and and something bigger and greater than themselves and that's that's been a bit of a shift Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's no doubt that younger generations, I look at my daughters, they're 22 and 20, that idea of purpose and values are probably more important to them than whether or not they're in the office or not in the office. You know, it's kind of a threshold question about Mm -hmm. where they want to work. So I do think um, that's something that every organisation just has to overcome and deal with, which is a good thing. You know, I think it's a great thing. Judith, I wonder how that's going to play out in recruitment. You know, you've been in recruitment for, well, you have had been for many, many years. And this whole process about what the individual's looking for, what the employer's looking for, I don't know. Do you think it's going to change the way we recruit? I think, I think you know, when you when you headhunt somebody, so because what I was doing was headhunting, so I would be tapping people on the shoulder to say, here's this particular opportunity with the, with this organization. So why are they going to move? So that people, again, they're only going to move if it's a better opportunity for them. So what does this company, I'd have to be able to say, this company, this is what they bring to the table, and this is what it's going to do for your career. Now, they're going to look at, because I didn't approach the miserable people, right? The ones that were unhappy. Usually it was the people that were highly successful and there's a direct correlation to being highly successful, well-paid and being happy at your job. <laughs> but they could be happier or they could be going to a, a better opportunity. So I, you know, I, I was always very conscious about this has to be a better opportunity than where you are. So the things that they look at is, would be the culture What's that culture like? What's that organization? Um, what are they providing? What's the service? What are people saying about them? And uh, one of the things I would say to, to candidates is, if you want to know, go on to LinkedIn and do a search for that company and their employees and see what the turnover is. People are leaving left, right, and center. That person's been there four months. Um, that's probably a little bit of a sign. Um, but they're looking for they're looking for a companies that are um that are, are are interested in them not just as a number but as a person who's going to come in and be part of a team so it's not that employer employee relationship it's more partnership you know at the senior levels i'm talking about at the at the senior levels they want someone who's going to come in who's going to be part of that team and part of that vision and who's going to add value to that vision. And I would say to them, when you go in there, this is a two-way street. What can you bring to the table and what can they bring to the table? So don't go in there to what's in it for me, because the reality is what can I deliver for you and what can you deliver for me? And that has to equal. That's got to be, you won't be there long if you don't. (laughs) 
And I think that conversation, that contribution conversation continues throughout your term with that company too. You know, it's not just obviously it gets you in the door at the beginning, but I think it's a conversation that has to continue annually or if not more frequently to make sure that you are, you know, aligned in what you're both getting from this relationship or partnership. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, people would go, so what would happen is I place somebody, let's say as a general manager role, they'd get into the organization. And then I do my follow-up after a month or two after the, how's it going? And the candidate would go, I don't know. I haven't seen my boss for you know, I'm not sure about this now because they don't seem to be. And then I'd go to the ball, I'd go to the managing director. How's how are you going with um, XYZ? Amazing. They're fabulous. They hit the ground running. I haven't even been able, I haven't had to follow up with them or do it. I would say, you know what? People leave on average in the first six months. Um, their other headhunters are still headhunting them because they know this is a danger period. You can't be the yeah, you know, you can't just be nice to them at the interview stage. <laughs> this has got to carry on, right? Have a conversation. I'd have to actually coach them on that, you know, people at every level need to still feel like they're part of it. They it's need about relationship time. building, isn't it? It's about oh generating my God. that. You'd think at that to... level they'd know by then, but no, it's not common sense is not so common. All right? so they are not a modern leader. <laughs> that's no. for sure. No, no. Uh, but it takes yeah. someone to tell, it takes people to tell them. And that's where, you know, when you're dealing with your clients, you're telling, just like you telling that person to turn front face forward, you'd think the person would know that that would be obvious, but it's, it's obvious, but not obvious. And, yeah. you know, you need to be able to pull people up and say, if you want good people to work for you, They've, they're going to want to have they're going to have to want to work for you and if you want it to be a good relationship it's a long relationship <laughs> and it won't be a long relationship if you don't put effort into it yes if you're looking at modern leadership if you're looking at a scale of one to ten in terms of where you think we are um globally in this on this journey do we have a long way to go are we where are where are we on the on the spectrum? Do we have a, a lot of practice at the head and heart gym that we need to go to to get there? Or oh, do you know it depends what context? Because when you think about world leaders, I think we're pretty poor. Because it's I can shocking. only name Jacinda Ardern and Volodymyr Zelensky. They're you know fabulous modern leaders, but they stand out because they're different. You then you've got the loud majority who are the Putins and Trumps and you know. And they're nowhere near where <laughs> I think we want leadership to be going. Agree so, with in that context, I think we're being we've got role models who aren't what we need. But then, in some ways, they really highlight that that's the leadership for most people, for most ordinary people, that we want nothing to do with. We don't want leaders who are divisive and. Um, dogmatic and you know you even look at how Elon Musk has gone into Twitter that you know from a leadership perspective it's just a totally bizarre uh, way to lose 55 billion dollars or whatever it is yeah, bizarre. so is a good word. 
it is bizarre and but it's also sad because it is getting a lot of traction and I also worry he may succeed and that will reinforce to some people that you know that's how you treat people you just go in and do that but I think if putting aside the high profile disastrous examples I do think that there's um, a large majority of people who understand that the leadership they might have experienced growing up at work with someone in an office who had their door shut that um, basically, you know, you spoke when you were spoken to and you just went and did your work, that that's no longer a feasible way of leading. And I think we're probably in a bit of a transition with those kind of leaders still around and you're still a little bit tentative to be vulnerable at work around them. But most people are realising that to succeed, you know, those leaders who are at the very height of corporates anyway, are generally now those that can lead with their head and their heart or boards. Certainly, I know the boards that I'm on and have been on for many years, we we recognise that in the long term, it's going to cause far more challenges if you recruit the technically brilliant person, but that isn't able to lead their uh, team. Absolutely. I know I know at board level, more and more conversations are, why is there this much turnover? This turnover is costing us. Why is there this much turnover? What are we doing about it? And that's just the symptom, isn't it? The turnover is the symptom of the problem. Oh, absolutely. And on boards, obviously, you need to be having your antenna out on everything around the culture of the organisation and how the uh, exec are functioning and operating. And um, I know I chair the REM and people committees on all my boards. And it's just such an important part of the role is making sure that the CEO and their direct reports are having 360s so that we're actually getting some visibility of, you know, the impact that they're having in the organization and coaching and whatever else it is that we need to invest because it's just not worth the grief and and this is now me talking with my head it's on the grief a, and out, the cost it's the grief, the and, grief the cost. and the cost let alone the ethical and the moral oh. um impetus of the impact that they would have on individuals exactly exactly so if you're advising because if you're advising a young person today entering the workforce how would you guide them to ensure that they had that right balance, that alchemy of head and heart, what would be your words of wisdom? To, um... <laughs> I think maybe the easiest way is to think back to myself at that age. And I think I had a perception that I had to be someone different at work than I was in the rest of my mm. life. Mm. And I would put on the armour of the suit and, you know, be very professional and all of those sorts of things I'm just as professional now but I'm much more who I am all the time so I think my encouragement would be to feel confident um, in that you yourself are the person that they're wanting to uh, have work with them and that all of those skills that you think are limited to your private life are actually you know going to be really valuable in your relationship building in the office and at work and with your boss and all of those sorts of things and so I think if I'd learned that a little bit earlier I mean it's easier said as you said Judith I've got a lot more wisdom <laughs> I turned 50 in a few months a lot more wisdom now than when I was 21 but um, I do think that was something that it took me a while to figure out that it you can be just as successful by being yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I resonate with that. Judith, what about you? What, well, what I, would you I, look, I, I would just use the, the old-fashioned saying, you know, treat people like you would want to be treated and keep that in your mind 
about, you know, when you're dealing as you're going up the ladder and you you're have to handle difficult situations, take a breath, sit back, you know, think about, okay, if I was in her position or his position, how would I want? How would I want this? Because a lot of times, you know, you can still be firm, but fair. And you can still, you know, um, hold people accountable, but you can do it in a nice way. And I always, always believe that you can, you can do everything in a nice way and still have, you know, a, the right message. You know, that you don't have to be the bully. You don't have to be the, you know, you, just, you, don't, you, know, you don't have to. Um, I mean, early in my career, someone pulled me up very quickly and said to me, this was, I was probably 27, 28, and a boss pulled me up and said, and I was running a little lending team. And they said, Judith, you're being, um, I'm getting feedback that you're being really aggressive. And I went, oh, thanks. And he goes, <laughs> no, that doesn't mean assertive, Judith. He goes, because you're being, because I brought the culture in from another bank, which was very much um, um, by your last name. And I was coming into a culture that was very open. And, and he goes, no, you've got to get to know people. You've got to listen to what they're, and he gave me great advice. Now, if I wouldn't have, if he wouldn't have said that to me, I probably would have been out of it. It was the best lesson I ever learned. And, but he was an empathetic leader and, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and, it, and I, and I'm going great because that's how I wanted to work. But I thought I had to work another way because I yeah, thought, yeah. oh, a manager, I've got to be strong. I've got to, you know, <laughs> I need this by five. I need this, by no, I wanted to be that. But I needed him to actually tell me it was okay to do that. And this is the way our culture is here. And then that was a great lesson. It was a really good lesson. Yeah. I remember um, somebody once saying about me, because uh, a bit like you, Kirsten, I had two personas. I had the work Christina and there was somebody quite different at home. And um, somebody once passed on that, oh, Christina, she's scary. Mm. And um, that was a that was that was a real eye opener. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think I think my advice to anybody coming through is invest in yourself equally in terms of your technical domain competency and your interpersonal human self awareness, your own internal capabilities. I think for far too long as a as as a world as a as a culture we have valued the technical, the you get your degree and you get your high distinctions and you get this and you get that and, you know, you're amazing and you've got your MBA and whatever, but we need to actually value the interpersonal um, skills and the self-awareness skills in equal measure to, 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 the technical, to the technical skills. Yeah, absolutely. Here, here. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I mean, are they actually teaching those things at university? Are they actually, are there courses in university about modern leadership through their MBAs or even through their, um, uh, you know, grad programs? Are they doing any of that? Because that would be okay, new business. New business. <laughs> I can't answer that. I'm sure EQ and things like that have its place, but not nearly to the same 
um, quantity. It wouldn't be an equal balance. I'm quite sure of that. And that's what we need to see. But we also need to have children learning what it means to be a leader, you know, much earlier at school and in high school, beyond just the position of the school captain, which is, exactly. you know, one person. Yeah. But in fact, all students are leading in different ways, whether with their siblings or in their sports teams and, you know, all of that. So I think there's a lot more we can do to um, include this idea uh, throughout our community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the more we talk about it, um, the more we include these conversations in our community. Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute delight. We, um, we all look forward to reading your book. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was absolutely, I love the conversation. <laughs> Thanks. For more information about Every Step and our guests, head to everysteppodcast.com. To be notified of new podcasts, please subscribe via your favourite listening platform. And of course, follow us on social media and direct message us to share your ideas about guests or topics.